Welcome to episode 76 of the Geek Rex podcast. Uh, I'm here with the entire gang, once again, reunited. So uh, we've got Shane, Cal, Hannah, and Kyle, as well as myself, Harper, on the line. Um, so we, we kind of mentioned this briefly last week, um, something a topic that we have all been kind of uh, thinking about and debating a little bit recently. Um, so we thought, you know, we've never really talked about uh, music in movies. So music is something that doesn't get brought up on our podcast all that often, I don't think, although we've, we've talked about scores and stuff when we talk about movies. But, um, you know, as a whole topic, I think it's a really interesting uh, thing to dive into. Um, so I wanted to kind of start out, I have this, uh, a funny story that I think would, would work really well for this. Uh, and I know I'm at least not the only one who's a giant fan of, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure on this, uh, on this podcast. So that's right. So, um, a buddy of mine, uh, who's works in the sound industry, got a chance to see, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure before, it was like a preview screening. Uh, and apparently when they used to do some of these preview screenings, cause I know we've all gone to lots of these, you know, in recent years, but apparently when they used to do these, sometimes the movies weren't finished in one way or another. So, uh, in this case, the movie did not have any music. So, uh, this guy, my friend watched Pee Wee's big adventure without the crazy, funny, um, Danny Elfman score. That's one of, one of his better ones, I think. Uh, and said the movie was absolutely bizarre and it came off as almost like, very creepy, <laughs> which, uh, you know, maybe Pee Wee is creepy to some people, uh, anyways, but, uh, you know, just, I think that's really weird and funny that a movie that's so goofy and childlike and whatever can come off totally differently without the music. So yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good story, man. I just showed Hannah Pee Wee's big adventure. For oh, the you finally time. watched it. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone loves it so much and I was ready to love it so much and I mean in fairness I was writing an article while we watched it because I had to get it out so I wasn't giving it my full attention but I was not as floored as I expected to be given all of the praise I'll say that. Well, maybe maybe we all hyped it up a little too much. <laughs> Oh, it's still awesome. I, it holds up so well, and it is it is a classic. Hannah just doesn't know what's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll have to agree on that front in this case. Uh, that's definitely one of my favorites. But, yeah, I think that's just kind of interesting because it shows how much the music can change a movie. Um, so I guess I kind of wanted to start out by just sort of um, saying, you know, we're going to talk about scores and soundtracks. So, And to me, I don't know if everybody defines it the same way, but to me, a score is music that's made specifically for the movie. So that's that's music that's composed with the movie in mind, uh, you know, like most of the stuff we'll probably be, end up talking about. But there's also soundtracks, and some movies have exclusively a soundtrack or exclusively a score. Some really mix it well. Um, but a soundtrack is just, you know, popular music or existing music in one way or another that's added on to a movie. So um, I just kind of wanted to start by saying, in general... Are you guys fans more of movies that really utilize a score that's made just for the movie to, to really emphasize what's going on? Or if it really brings in outside music, um, you know, like in a period piece or something where it brings in music from the time or something like that, where um, do like, do you think which one is more effective or which are you generally a bigger fan of? I think it's easier to do a good soundtrack, maybe. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can see how it could go wrong just as easily, but um, scores, it's hard to make them memorable or to make them stand out from the movie. Yep. And soundtracks like Guardians of the Galaxy, for example, they can completely elevate the, the movie um, in a really noticeable and memorable way. So I, I personally, I think when done really well, a score will enhance the movie more. But I think 
for your average movie, a soundtrack tends to do a better job um, or is more standout than a score. I think it just depends on the movie and almost more the tone. Um, Cause when I think soundtrack, unless it's like a musical, I think more of kind of like what guardians of the galaxy has or like what your typical comedy has. Um, I mean, cause like guardians of the galaxy utilized the soundtrack perfectly, but I wouldn't want to hear any of those songs in like, let's say star Wars or jaws or something like that, which utilize scores very well. Um, kind of just depends on, whatever the filmmaker's going for. And like Hannah said, I think a score is easier to mess up. It's hard for me to imagine, though, like Goodfellas without that like iconic Layla scene, you know, when, when uh, Jimmy uh, takes care of all his, uh, all those people that knew he robbed yeah. the, the mm-hmm. airplane, you know. And um, the, I mean, I, if, if there was some bland score behind that, I feel, I feel like the power behind, some, behind that scene it yep. would would be eliminated a bit, so it's it's kind of like uh, like kind of like what Shane said. I think it it just depends on the, who the filmmaker is. Yeah, like Martin Scorsese is Martin Scorsese, and there is an ability of like sort of muscled up filmmaking behind his work that sort of the the soundtrack, those particular score selections, like in The Departed, where uh, we see. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio's character in jail for the first time, and they play. I think it was the uh, Dropkick Murphys. I think maybe, mm-hmm. or it could, it could have been somebody else. I'm not sure about my Irish punk rock bands, but I, I feel like any 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 sort of orchestral score probably would have not underlined the power behind those scenes. So it really just depends. I mean, I, I feel the same way about James Gunn's work in Guardians of the Galaxy too. I mean, yeah. the soundtrack made it more interesting than if it was just like some boring Marvel score. Yeah. I like mean, Guardians I, of the Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> I think what you're saying is is logical and The Godfather is a really good example of that where a soundtrack for some of those really pivotal moments wouldn't have made as much sense as a score. But you have to get a really good score for it to be something you walk away and remember. Yeah. I, and I, I also kind of feel like a soundtrack is easier to remember if, especially if you don't have a lot of backing mm-hmm. music. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I know I'm a lot more likely to remember a really killer soundtrack to a movie than I am to remember a really killer score typically because I have a, better framework to reference it you know i have to say oh my god did you see the layla scene in goodfellas and people would be oh shit yeah i saw that whereas if i say oh man did you guys see the main title theme from tenebrae like people would be like <laughs> and that's going to be relevant because i'm going to expound on how awesome the main title theme in tenebrae is Agreed. and none of you know what i'm talking one of you will know what i'm talking about <laughs> <laughs> yeah and some clever things can be done with soundtracks too like even though I'm not a huge Lana Del Rey fan, I think the Great Gatsby soundtrack, the most recent Great Gatsby, was pretty interesting because they used modern hip-hop to kind of show the excess of the time in a different way, which was really cool. And I think they did some some neat things by kind of introducing modern music into that. I think that's one of the things that soundtracks actually do better than scores in a lot of cases is set set the time period in a lot of ways. Um, uh and and that can that actually can work with scores too. Um, actually, now that I say that, I'm thinking of a movie like Drive, which although it takes place you know in, in modern day, it's got a very strong '80s feel, and the music is a big part of that. 
Um, and, and I think there's a lot of movies that fall on that line too, but soundtracks, that's a really easy, quick way to establish a time period too. the, um, director's cut of Zodiac. There's some really interesting ways that, uh, Fincher used that in using, using music as cues to advance the time period of the movie, um, is really, really fascinating and a really cool way to use it as a storytelling device, I think too. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think it depends on the movie. It depends on the director. I think some directors work better with one or the other or, you know, it makes more sense with their style. I in a lot of cases, although I'm a huge fan of some scores and some soundtracks, I really like when they're mixed. So I think um, a good example would be a movie like Babel, where the soundtrack and the score is one album that you can buy. It's this giant two disc set. It's music by, uh, I hate that I cannot remember his name, uh, the guy that scored The Last of Us as well. Um, really excellent Um composer but uh he did a ton of music for the score but there's also some really great soundtrack music um you know if you're familiar with the movie it takes place in uh you know in three different continents and so there's music that really represents a bunch of different cultures and things like that so stuff like that is really cool to me and that's really nice to get an a cd like that or whatever that's you know gives you a lot of different things to listen to like that so it's kind of interesting when they're mixed as well and there's only a handful of examples i can think of like that but well, you said Drive. That's another good example. Yeah, that's true. Very good. Score. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it opens up with that chromatic song, mm-hmm. uh, and then it kind of goes into the uh, that night call, the convincing piece song, that everybody yeah. you know knows. And then, and then there's a lot of Cliff Martinez work behind that, uh, who I guess now is sort of well known for that show, The Nick on on Cinemax. But um, yeah, that, that there there are a few good few good blends. I mean, I think Paul Thomas Anderson was doing a lot of blended work, mm-hmm. and I think he's got one coming up for Inherent Vice that's very blended too. Um, I, I, I like that. I mean, I I tend to sort of lean more towards something that's a very singular product. Because I, I, you know, I see film like like a lot of people as as like an art, right? So it's like you've got the film, and then you've got the score that goes with it as a piece of the art. Um, and I kind of prefer it that way. Uh, but though I'm sure an argument can be made for you know those soundtrack pieces that come in at certain points to under underline it. I mean, the problem you have with soundtracks is that sometimes studios produce them to highlight their hot artist. Right. I mean, back in the day for like really bad, like teen horror movies, remember like the Screen 3 soundtrack? I mean, it used to be, well, you know, people like uh, Slipknot, so let's put them on the soundtrack. And uh, people like something. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're on the uh, Freddy vs. Jason soundtrack as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, that, of course, we're talking about shitty horror movies, too. We're not exactly talking about John Carpenter stuff. But scores can be terribly boring, too. I, just, mean, I keep thinking about Guardians of the Galaxy and yeah. how. Those Marvel movies, like when they have scores, I don't even remember the scores, honestly. They seem to only work when they actually use soundtracks. A lot of those. The the only one I remember is The Avengers. I can't believe you remember that. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I remember. remember. (laughs) I remember that. I'm not going to sing it for you, but I can remember it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. I I mean, uh, yeah, there's there's very little of that I remember. But yeah, that. And I, I remember bits and pieces of Iron Man 3s. Bits and pieces of Iron Man 3s almost exclusively because of uh, how much fun the the end credits scene, like the end credits yeah. where um, yeah. the kind of hyper-stylized art with the just really, really driving Iron Man theme, that's yeah. the only reason I remember any of that. I, I think that's the song I remember from the score, which I think is just mo- like the main theme of the score sped up. So Let's kind of get into the nitty-gritty here. So um, let's say... 
you know, who, who are some of you guys' favorite composers for scores? Like, do you, um, do you have a composer that, uh, you look out for, or you get excited when you see is going to score a movie or anything like that? I have a number one. My all time favorite is Clint Mansell without a doubt. Um, he did the fountain. He does a lot of Darren Aronofsky movies. Um, he also did moon, uh, his, his scores are always, they're scores that I immediately download or purchase and I listen to on their own. And sometimes even if I didn't like the movie, I like the score, like they're something I seek out actively. He did, um, the Lux Eterna for Requiem for a Dream, right? It did, yes. I think that's his most, fa- most well-known, I think. Oh, yeah. It is, for sure. He also did some uh, songs for Mass Effect 3, if you guys play Mass Effect. Oh, really? Yeah, he did, like, the the kind of cutscene songs, like the ones that have the, the Reapers going Wah! really loud. <laughs> I can't describe it, but maybe uh, Harper can insert music here. <laughs> <laughs> will, will do. Uh, yeah, Clint Mansell's a, a really good choice, and he, um, a Stoker, he did as well last year that he I did. really liked yeah. that. That's a good uh, mixed score soundtrack, too. I'm really excited about some of the um, rock musicians who've come into uh, scoring recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have recent Oscar winners like Trent Reznor, which is the weirdest thing in the world to say still, but he and Atticus Ross do all these David Fincher movies now, and, and even David Fincher movies that I don't particularly love, like Gone Girl. The scores are really awesome. I mean, even in their minimalist state, they're they're yeah. mood setting, incredible pieces. I, even the girl with the dragon tattoo has a great yeah. score. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, dragon tattoo, social network, all those have great scores. But I would say the biggest critique and really like it's. It all depends on like what you consider a great score. Is it one that like helps lift the movie to a higher level as you watch it, or is it one that does that and then it's also memorable later on? Because I don't think that last part really applies to any of Trent Reznor's scores. Ooh, I don't know. It just I, depends on what you're looking for, right, Harper? Yeah, no, I mean, I get that. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, of Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, but uh, outside of a couple of key songs on the um, uh, Social Network soundtrack, I definitely think that stuff is hard to... You have to be a fan of their kind of stuff to get into it post-movie. Yeah, the the only Social Network song I remember is the one that it plays when they're having the uh, kayak race or whatever. Yep. Yeah, that's definitely yeah. one of them. All the Mountain King. Yeah. yeah, I don't remember any of the songs either. I remember liking them at the time, but I don't remember them later. And then I remember the uh, Karen O cover that was for the mm-hmm. opening credits for uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. 
But I mean, they. I mean, I remember loving the score. And, like they all enhanced those three Fincher movies. But yeah, I mean, I I don't remember a single one of them now. But but my other example would of course be Johnny Greenwood, mm-hmm. um, who has teamed up with Paul Thomas Anderson for the past few movies. And and these this this is all like new music stuff. Uh, what what I guess classical musicians would consider experimental forms of music. So it's not going to be memorable stuff at all. But it's gorgeous chamber music. I mean, the master. And there will be blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, have these incredible string quartets, and they're just lovely to listen to. It's not like easy pleasure listening, like I think Clint Mansell is, which is not a bad thing. It's just a different sort of tone that he's going for. But it's so rich. I mean, if you listen to that master soundtrack, it is like perfect uh, relaxation music. I mean, it's it, it's a wonderful, wonderful piece of work. So those two are the guys that I get really, really excited about, especially since they have ongoing collaborators in uh, film. I'm trying to think of somebody out of the box like y'all were, but I am think I'm going to have to be cliche for a second until the name comes back to me. Scores for me... Yes, it's important that a score like uplifts the movie as I'm watching it. Like I said, with the Trent Reznor ones, they work really well. But I think another crucial factor in like what makes scores great for a lot of audiences is them being memorable. And I know it's cliche, but John Williams has a lot that are ingrained in people's memories, like Star Trek or Star Wars and uh, Superman and Jaws. Uh, Jaws and Harry Potter and so like all these film franchises he's touched in Jurassic Park one of my favorite movies of all time he did the score for and I love that theme song so much oh okay name came back to me recent person that has done amazing scores particularly and that's why I said Star Trek at first is uh, Michael Giacchino has done a lot of great scores lately Yeah, John John Williams just he's so connected to my past and my childhood. John Williams is just one and Alan Silvestri doing the Back to the Future theme. Just the two of them are so connected to my childhood and like pivotal scores that helped me become a big fan of movies in general. I I would argue that that Jaws soundtrack was completely essential to the whole plot of the movie. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, it, it wasn't even just memorable. It was essential for that film's success. So, I mean, yeah, he's definitely done some iconic work. I was just listening to, um, or wa- I was watching The Long Goodbye, which is that Robert Altman movie, uh, which, which, you know, has Elliot Gould, basically, you know, he's playing Philip Marlowe. It's 70s, kind of hazy, pre- uh, Big Lebowski before Big Lebowski was a thing. <laughs> and it has a score by john williams but it's Hmm. not really a score he just composed the theme and they took the theme and made like five or six different versions of it and there's this amazing scene where marlo's going to shop for cat food at the grocery store so he's listening to this long goodbye song over the credits and there's a woman singing it and it's sort of a slower jazzier version he then goes into the grocery store it's like cuts into him in the grocery store and it plays like sort of an elevator pitch version of it and then someone else is driving the car, and there's a guy singing the song. And it's all sort of intercut in between one another, these different scenes. And I thought, well, that's a brilliant way to sort of heighten the films. Like, you know, even if it has, like, one musical cue that it uses over and over again, that kind of shows what a really good composer can sort of bring to a film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't think there's anything wrong with choosing John Williams at all. The dude is an absolute master of, like, 
the more more traditional side of of Hollywood, you know, or, orchestral scores. I mean, the, the guy has way more classics under his belt than the next three or four people behind him. I'm sure. Yeah, probably. I think he probably has. I mean, I could be wrong, but he might have more Oscars than any modern composer. Wouldn't surprise me. Almost certainly. <laughs> he definitely has more nominations. Dude can just write one song for something. We saw with Lincoln, he got nominated, and I don't remember a single bit of that score. <laughs> I'm a I'm a big fan of Marvin Hamlish too, actually. Yeah. Um, for those of you, I mean, The Sting is has mm, got an yeah. amazing score. It's all those Scott Joplin songs, and then you've got um, he recently. I think his very last score before he died was for Behind the Candelabra, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. has beautiful, beautiful piano music throughout. That at the time I assumed was all Liberace pieces, but they're not. I mean, it's all stuff that uh, he, that uh, Hamlish composed for the film itself. So Hamlish also did the uh, songs for A Chorus Line, one of my favorite musicals. And The Informant, which uh, you know, I know Cal, I think, was a big fan of, right? I am indeed. And the score plays, that's one of those movies where the score is almost essential to the tone of the movie not being incredibly upsetting. <laughs> that would be a bizarre kind of surreal movie without um, the score giving away the uh, kind of underlying bizarreness to this world. I, I, I have, I have three that are, that I'm pretty big on. Ennio Morricone, who I think is probably most well-known for uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and his work with uh, uh, Sergio Aragon's. Um, Sergio Leone, Sergio Leone. Sergio Leone, sorry about that. <laughs> I don't know why I thought, I think I got confused with comics there for a second. <laughs> Gru was showing up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, John Carpenter's Halloween score, which is one of the three or four most instantly iconic pieces of music I've ever heard. Yeah. And um, Goblin, who I mentioned earlier, who did uh, Suspiria and Tenebrae, uh, among others. But those are the two big ones that I'm absolutely in love with. The superior version of Dawn of the Dead as well, I would argue. Oh, yeah. The European cut, uh, all <laughs> Goblin music. Yeah, no, Goblin is insane. I, um, I got to see them live last year right before Halloween, and it was like one of the coolest things I've ever gotten to see. It was awesome. Very cool. That had to be a weird ex- – I, I can't even imagine that. It was like, very it's- weird. <laughs> music that seeing it like live would be very odd to me well especially coming out of the synthesizers and goofy uh headset microphones of a bunch of like 50 year old italian guys <laughs> yeah so i guess for for one reason or another um horror scores tend to draw my attention a lot more than anything else well, don't the best horror movies have great scores? I mean, the ones that we all kind of really line behind as classics, like Rosemary's Baby mm-hmm. and The Exorcist and uh, The Shining. The Shining. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, those all have tremendous scores. I mean, I can't tell you off the top of my head who composed what, um, but uh, I remember those really being standouts because they help set the mood. Hitchcock, too. You yeah. Saw oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had, uh, I had a, we had a nice conversation the other night with a friend of ours on Twitter 
about uh, Bernard Herrmann and uh, all the stuff he added to uh, Alfred Hitchcock's films and the partnership they had. It was one of it was probably one of Hitchcock's longest running partnerships mm-hmm. uh, between uh, himself and uh, and Bernard. So and especially like a movie like Vertigo, right? Yeah. I mean, that's boy, that's that is just a kaleidoscope of sound and color and. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's not really a horror film. It's more of a suspense film. Yeah. yeah. Still, I yeah, absolutely. Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, definitely had some um, really iconic themes. That's definitely. Uh, I was about to say, Psycho. If if you want to go horror, Psycho has probably yeah. It's next to John Carpenter's Halloween with iconic horror movie scores. Yeah, for sure. And that was Herman too. Mm-hmm. So I'm a lot of uh, my favorites have already been mentioned for sure. Um, but the other ones I kind of wanted to bring up, uh, I think. Hans Zimmer is one of the more modern guys that has, you know, really gotten into the zeitgeist for that kind of thing. As a guy who does primarily orchestral scores, especially, it's kind of surprising how many people know who he is and like his stuff. So it's definitely a big one. And he made a a pretty interesting impact this year that we may uh, talk about later. But uh, one of my other favorite guys who's more of a traditional person a little bit is um, Thomas Newman, who did uh, one of my Mm -hmm. favorite scores of all time for uh, American Beauty. Um, but also did more recent stuff like uh, Skyfall, a really, really excellent he, score for Skyfall. He did one of my favorites as well, which is uh, Wally. Yeah, yep, that's right, yeah. Um, really, really interesting. And what's what I like about him is none of his scores really sound alike. Um, and I think yeah. he takes a really interesting approach in a lot of cases, like American Beauty doing using a lot of weird sounds, but, and, but also the primary instrument is uh, a, um, what do you call it, like the wooden xylophone, which is like the last thing you would associate with a movie about like the American suburban life, <laughs> but it works perfectly. It's brilliant. So, uh, I mean, he does stuff like that a lot that I think is really interesting. And the last one I wanted to definitely, I could not, possibly not bring up is uh philip glass who i think is potentially the greatest living composer we might have um who did stuff like uh quena scotsi uh that that entire series uh the thin blue line uh mishima uh so a lot, a lot of great stuff who's really really um really ahead of his time especially when those movies were coming out with these really on the surface simple kind of pulsing repetitive scores that are kind of hypnotic in a lot of ways uh is really fantastic stuff that that's some of the movie music that i find myself listening to most often you know they take a philip glass piece in in the, in the film adaptation of watchmen and it's mm-hmm. actually the best part of the movie yeah. is the dr manhattan creation scene that's all <laughs> oh that is good Yeah, and the the thing is, that the rest of it's that really lame Tyler Bates, who mm-hmm. I can't stand most of his music. Uh, well, he's uh, he's Marvel Studios' new favorite guy. Oh, <laughs> Random tidbit: I believe Philip Glass is Ira Glass's cousin. Yeah, you guys listen to it. Really? Hmm. Yeah, kind of oh. random. And I totally agree on Hans Zimmer. He was my number two, but I was like, yeah. oh, I won't take him. I'll let somebody else <laughs> name him. As well, and we also have a uh, Howard Shore who did mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings, so. Yeah, 
yeah, you know, I guess he's he's going to be a subject of of discussion uh, in a few weeks with, or yeah, in a couple weeks with the new Hobbit yeah. too, right? So yeah, you know, a lot of people I think have been disappointed with the Hobbit score, and I think part of the reason for that is this guy probably signed up to do one movie score, and then he had to find <laughs> music for three movie scores and add a whole bunch of filler. That's a pretty fair point. I mean. The only thing I ever remember about the Hobbit scores are the parts that are recreating music from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, you bring up Philip Glass, too. I actually have I, I you, you've ever heard the Dracula, the Bela Lugosi. Um, they, they, they score. He and the Kronos Quartet scored a, 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 court, oh, yeah. a quartet piece for Dracula from 1930. Uh, one or two or whenever that whenever Dr- Bela Lugosi's Dracula came out the Todd Browning version mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's it's amazing because that movie doesn't have a score it has no music because it was one of the first like talky films mm-hmm. so yeah. there's uh, it's amazing how much that actually fills up that movie yeah Phil Glass is, ter- is tremendous you know, one last one I want to add is Cliff Martinez. We mm-hmm. mentioned him for um, Drive but I think my favorite score of his was actually Solaris yeah. the the more recent Solaris. I don't know if you guys saw that, but the score for that was just totally chilling and creepy. And I definitely, I realize I definitely have like a, a preference or a predilection for these kind of sci-fi creepy scores. And he does that really well. And I don't want to let a moment go by without seconding that Ennio Morricone business mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I, Cal went through his three pretty quick. But yes, the good, the bad, and the ugly is massive. Uh, it's a massive like melding of visuals and sound. And I love, love the score for that. It, that's why it's my favorite Western of all time. So co sign Cal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would agree. He's done a lot of fantastic stuff. I mean, even one of my favorite, actually, we were talking about horror scores, my favorite horror movie ever, uh, The Thing, which he he did, which I assume with a, yeah. a lot of um, collaboration with Carpenter himself. But um, yeah, a great all time great score for sure for that one, too. Mission to Mars, too, right? With Car- with uh, De Palma. I think he did that, didn't he? I'm not sure. I think, I think it wouldn't surprise me. I know he worked with the Palma, but I think it might have been for the Untouchables. Maybe. Yeah, I think you're right. We usually spend so much time criticizing movies and TV shows and stuff. <laughs> I've just been gushing for like 20 minutes. I feel like it's weird. Where's the hatred? <laughs> yeah, there's some Tyler Bates hatred for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, nobody came from me, of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just for a moment. So now the next category, who are all the composers that we can't stand? No, that would be... I've got a list of them, actually. <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely a few, but that might that might end up getting a little boring. I have I have a feeling. There is one song I want you to play at some point in this podcast. All right. <laughs> song I've ever heard in a in a successful movie, which is from GoldenEye. I think I sent it to you. It's the worst song ever. <laughs> like the, the theme song? Not the, the, not the theme song. Okay. It's in a. It's in I was a about to say, that's one of the better Bond themes. No, it's in a car chase, and it sounds uh, like genuinely, it sounds like porn music. Like it's so weird. <laughs> I can't believe that it's in the movie at all. It's super strange. Yeah, it's oof, oof. I can't wait for you to play it. It's gonna be awesome. So um, we've, we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but uh, 
we, and we've talked about different people we really like. So do you guys own a lot of uh, soundtracks or scores and, or do you listen to a lot of scores on their own? Um, and then when you're, when you're listening to them and stuff, do you, you know, I, I think a lot of people probably use like real big bombastic scores, like, you know, maybe when you're working out or when you're on a run or something like that, but do you listen to, to those music to kind of remind you of, you know, the feeling that you had during the movie or that tone, or do you just like it as music on its own or how does that usually work? I think I own more soundtracks than scores. Um, being a big fan of musicals, I tend to buy anytime there's a musical movie coming out, I tend to buy its soundtrack, particularly if it's a musical that I liked uh, the stage version of it. Um, scores, the only ones I know for sure I own are like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, which is pretty sad considering Jurassic Park's one of my favorite movies and I don't own the score for that movie. Um, but when it comes to listening for it, uh, it's definitely what you were talking about with tone. Um, for me, scores aren't really driving music for me that's more of a soundtrack kind of thing uh scores are more of like a writing and kind of just sitting around and browsing around the internet kind of thing but definitely tone for sure when i'm writing i'll listen to a score because it's hard for me to listen to music when i'm writing that has words because i'll get distracted by the words Mm -hmm. so i often pull up movie scores and definitely it's a tone kind of thing yeah, for me, I, I probably have three uses for listening to music. Uh, one is when I'm working out, and that's when I tend to prefer those kind of louder, epic soundtracks, probably, um, or scores. Um, another is when I'm working. Sometimes just I'll like to... <laughs> lately, I've been putting the Interstellar soundtrack on while I work, which is like making work really intense for me. <laughs> like <laughs> I'll be like typing and it's like this crazy organ music and I type faster, faster, faster. Um, and then another is just to relax. And I, I definitely listen to like, uh, I think the fountain from Clint Mansell is probably my number one, most listened to score. Um, it's got a really beautiful, like piano kind of sound to it that really helps me relax and kind of get sleepy. I have, uh, the lost in translation soundtrack. Uh, which is probably my favorite soundtrack of all time. It's got some original pieces composed by Kevin Shields, who's from my favorite band of all time, My Bloody Valentine. Um, but it's also got a lot of like My Bloody Valentine music that's that was from other albums, and it's got a few other few other tracks from various artists. So that's one of the ones that I really love. And also, I really love the Velvet Goldmine soundtrack which um not so much the original music but stuff like brian eno and um roxy music like a lot of the good like late 70s glam rock stuff that uh, appears in that soundtrack it's really the the kind of thing that i like to listen to i, I don't really listen to a lot of scores uh, on their own i mean i will listen to like clint mansell because it's fairly listenable uh, and it, I, it's only ever when i'm driving and I usually try to recall what what's what the visual is in the movie, you know, uh, as best I can while I'm driving, of course. Um, and sometimes I'll listen to stuff while I'm on a long plane ride, but I, I don't listen to it while I work. And, I, you know, it's, it just sort of reflects how much music I actually listen to at this point. But um, other like as far as like a score goes, I also really like uh, Tangerine Dream score from the movie Thief which is uh, Michael Mann's first movie, and it is awesome. It is like late 70s, new wave. It's like Blade Runner's uh, score from Vangelis before Blade Runner. It is really impressive, and it like presupposes movies like Drive and everything. It's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, a, I'll back you up on that one. I, I love Thief, and um, I'm going to have to give it another watch and pay attention to the score especially because... I really want to rewatch Thief. 
<laughs> it's, it's like Miami Vice before Miami Vice, man. I mean, it's 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 impressive. As for myself, uh, I think the only scores I ever really listened to outside of watching the movies themselves are probably honestly Goblin scores. Um, I, I, I hate to just keep filleting Goblin, but. <laughs> It sounds uh, way funnier, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, aside from a few of their a uh, few of their pieces, I tend to connect a lot more strongly with music based on the lyrics than the music itself. And so, uh, listening to scores just for fun is pretty rare for me. I've got a, a fairly big collection of scores and soundtracks that I've kind of built up over the years. And I'm actually, in a lot of ways, I'm kind of the opposite of what you were saying, Cal, that in, in most cases for the just regular music that I listen to day to day, I'm more interested in, in the instrumentation of it than the, the vocals in a lot of cases, um, uh, for whatever reason. But uh, so I find myself really interested in scores all the time, and I, I listen to a lot of them, but I, I find most of the time it falls into those categories like uh, Hannah brought up. Um, a lot of times when I'm working, I'll listen to something that kind of helps me focus, but then, and, and working out and stuff like that, it's uh, there's a lot of scores. Uh, I know the Inception score played a big role in my very brief stint uh, trying to bike a lot. <laughs> so uh, I, I totally get that as well. Um, but there, there are some scores, I'm trying to think of some right off the top of my head, but um, I mean, I know as a big Nine Inch Nails fan, uh, fan and Trent Reznor fan. I listen to those scores all the time, and I, I find them very just listenable in a ca- kind of a casual way. But I know that's probably a little unusual. And sometimes it's it brings back, you know, it kind of puts you back in the mood you were if it's a movie you really love. That's part of that is why it's really fun and enjoyable. A lot of the times, like especially with the uh, Hans Zimmer stuff, I find that a lot. That if I'm listening to one of his scores, it really brings me back to the excitement of seeing one of those, uh, seeing the Dark Knight or Inception or, or uh, Interstellar for the first time, and just kind of the that mood that I was in at the time, or something like that. So that definitely plays a, a role as well sometimes. I, I did have something actually. I should have brought this up earlier when you mentioned uh, people we don't like, but this might be kind of a difficult question. I don't know that I have a great answer for it. But uh, what about movies that you that you like? but you don't like the soundtrack or there's music that really throws you off from the movie or, or vice versa too, a movie that you, uh, you don't really like, but the soundtrack is something that you're really interested in or is really, uh, up your alley. All right. I've got, um, an answer for both. All right. Uh, and so my answer for a movie that was ruined by maybe bad musical choices, I'm going to go with Prometheus. Hmm. I, I, I like, I hate that score with like a, like a white hot passion. Um, you know, the score for Alien was a very tasteful kind of eerie Jerry Goldsmith score. And it sort of, um, it it sort of underlined the terror without being heavily bombastic in any way. Um, I didn't think anyway, but Prometheus, my God, every scene is like punctuated by this terrible Mark Stronenfeld score. Oh, I was going to ask who did it. Yeah, it's just, it's just blast 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 and it it kind of reminds me of how like a bad marvel like bombastic storm and and, and, you know there's a time and a place for that sort of Hans Zimmerness I think uh and I I think only Hans Zimmer can be Hans Zimmer and the and the guys that copy him never really work out too well Mm -hmm. and unfortunately I think Prometheus is an example of that uh just sort of like a a crummy uh knockoff more or less 
But uh, for the other question, bad movies, good score. Uh, I was going to say something controversial, but I won't say it. Instead, I'll just say Tron Legacy. That's which, what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, which I think has a great score from Daft Punk, yep. but is an awful movie <laughs> through and through. That's a very good example. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle covered my quintessential example of the bad movie, good soundtrack. Sorry. But I have a couple of of things I hate. Uh, <laughs> one is that Golden Eye song that I mentioned. You have to listen to it. It's crazy. Um <laughs> The Watchmen did some things right, but it did one thing really, really wrong for me, which is that the use of the Hallelujah song during the <laughs> sex scene with yeah. the the fire and all that. Oh, just the blimp. It was so bad. It was so bad. It pulled me out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I remember thinking the movie was decent and at that moment stepping out of my brain and being like, this is a terrible, what am I watching? Um, and then I also think James Horner is super overrated. He did the Avatar soundtrack and he's won, you know, Oscars for his soundtracks and he's had some decent ones, but for the most part, like an Avatar soundtrack uh, or score rather represents that kind of hollow score where like I forget about it instantly and it doesn't really add anything to the scene and it just sounds like how people think a score should sound. Um, I think he also did the Titanic, yeah, including that song, that <laughs> Celine Dion song or whatever. Uh, I don't know. I just I'm not a fan of that. I didn't like almost a single song choice they made in Watchmen. Um, Aren't they all from the comic though? Uh, Some are, but I think they don't work as well uh, when filmed, especially all kind of thrown together. Um, Like, I liked opening on uh, The Times They Are Changing to a montage of times changing. That was good. But then The Sounds of Silence to a a silent funeral, and then uh, all along the watchtowers as they flew along a watchtower. And I was just like, Jesus Christ. Not every pop song has to be literal. Well, that that might be a criticism aimed at Alan Moore, too. I think that's something yeah. he's really guilty of in his comics writing, too. So that might be a big part of it. Or you Zack know, Snyder Harper, let's well, be honest. It's the most well, literal true. filmmaker on the planet. <laughs> very true, very true. Um, I think Watchmen's kind of an interesting case because the music was actually one of the parts of the movie that I really enjoyed for the most part. Um, I think the hallelujah scene is totally ridiculous. I think the music plays a big part, but it is not the only reason why that scene is totally yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah, I think the opening music and I think the, there are bits of that score that I actually do like, uh, despite who it is. Um, just in, in the way it kind of captures the eighties in in some ways, uh, in the same way that like the color and the way the movie's lit really, uh, works well for that tone too. But yeah, that Watchmen's an interesting case. Cause there's, definitely reasons to like or hate that uh that score and soundtrack did you guys see never let me go it was never let me go yeah right? it's never let me go did you guys see that one no. it was an example of not a bad score but a score where the concept is about like clones and stuff like that it's kind of got a sci-fi-ish um yeah. twinge but they use this kind of like heavy string period music and the music itself was fine it wasn't bad it was a little bland but i think that's a really good example where um the score you know it kind of sets the tone for the whole film and a more sci-fi leaning creepy minimalist score would have completely changed that movie i'm convinced
Yeah, I, I, that that was one of my big uh, uh, criticisms of the movie too. When we walked out, it just it just made, it made the movie go from like this interesting concept of clones that are used for organ donations into um, a period piece. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, it becomes a slog, and that 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 that's I think that's like a prime example of a score that really can like gum up the whole works of a fairly compelling film. Yeah. So the only example I could come up with, just kind of uh, since I was thinking about this, was a composer that I really like a lot with, that we brought up, which is uh, Cliff Martinez, uh, doing a score for a movie I definitely was not a big fan of, along with uh, most people, I think. I think you may disagree, Kyle, but um, uh, Only God Forgives. Which um, you know, I, I loved his stuff on Drive. I like—I mean, I love Drive in general. But and that was a movie I was really excited for. Uh, I didn't see it right away. It, it was a long time later, and I actually heard bits of the music uh, before I saw the movie from just stuff coming up in, on Pandora and that kind of thing. But and I really dug it. It got me excited to go watch the movie, and then I watched it, and I don't know what what it is or why I watched it. But uh, that's a, a score that I really enjoy for a movie that I really don't. That's a Kyle movie through and through. I mean, that's a, that only Kyle. Only Kyle forgives, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> should have called your review that. That would have been awesome. I probably should have. <laughs> you know, there's a documentary coming out about the making of that movie and how wrong it went. Anyway, sidebar. Wow. I'm trying to, for the, the darndest, to think of a score that I love in a movie that I hate. And I think Tron Legacy is probably the perfect example because I really can't think of anything else and i didn't really even hate tron legacy and i can't even think of one of a movie that i love but i hate the score uh, i know two more movies that i hate or well not hated but i didn't love and but i love the score is uh van helsing and beowulf Both of those had awesome scores, and those movies are not amazing. <laughs> um, I would say Van Helsing is more on the terrible scale. Beowulf's on the more middle-of-the-road scale. I don't remember anything about those Me movies neither. other than the, the bad movies. I think that was like before I started even paying attention to scores when the, when they both came out, though, to be honest. What are some of your all-time favorite soundtracks? So, you know... Uh, uh, you know, the album that's got tons of popular music or whatever that you really enjoy that either you really liked before you saw the movie or seeing the movie really got you into that those songs or, or anything like that. What are your favorite soundtracks? For me, I would go with Magnolia. Um, that's largely an Amy Mann soundtrack. And I really like Amy Mann anyway, but I didn't know who she was until I saw Magnolia. Um, she's actually one of her songs is featured in the movie. Like every character sings it in this crazy montage. Um, so for me, that that's probably the, the first soundtrack I've seen where because of the f film, I found the artist and became really interested in the artist. You look going to cheat uh, a considerable amount and say <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, very much enjoying I think it was a hard day's night <laughs> the, both, the, both the movie and uh, obviously the soundtrack yeah you did another one with the Beatles man no definitely not that's a good choice just feels like cheating a little bit <laughs> <laughs> 
I think I was about to say, there are some arrangements in Across the Universe that are really well done, even though that movie is not very good. Um, yeah, yeah. I saw, I saw that in the theater. And <laughs> I, I did, too. too. <laughs> um, as far as, like, soundtracks that I love, I mean, I already said Lost in Translation, uh, so that is probably my answer. But um, I will say Boogie Nights is pretty damn rocking. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't even like disco that much, but it's it the, the songs that were chosen. I was about to say, Saturday Night Fever has a pretty iconic disco score. Yeah, you, as long as you love the Bee Gees. I mean. <laughs> and I do, so... <laughs> No, my, that's that is my dad's favorite soundtracks. <laughs> uh, I'm going to lay down a couple soundtracks for you. Two of them recent, one of them not so much. Uh, Big Lebowski has an awesome soundtrack. Um, yeah. Then you got uh, Kickass had a really good soundtrack, and Scott Pilgrim had a really good soundtrack. You know what drove me crazy about Kickass though is they reused that song from Sunshine and from like every movie ever now uses that song, mm-hmm. that damn song. Yeah, Adagio and D minor. Yeah, Same it's one. a trailer Sunshine. song now for everything. Wait, which song? I don't know what we're talking about. Um, you know the song, the scene where Big Daddy gets burned to death. In, uh, uh, I do, but I don't remember the song they played. I'll have to look it up. It's the same thing when, surprise, surprise, the the, the Icarus 2 uh, ends up going into the sun yeah. in sunshine. I guess it's like the burning you up song. It's the burning song. <laughs> um, it's- I, I, I don't think anything can be as overplayed as that Requiem for a Dream song. That's, yeah. that's definitely one. And the um, kind of along the same lines, the score for uh, 28 Days Later, that main theme was used on everything for a while yeah. after that movie came out and kick-ass it was in kick-ass as well yep <laughs> yeah that's right i forgot about that shane reminded me of um another cohen's movie i don't remember big lebowski as much but oh brother where art thou had a pretty mm. killer soundtrack mm. i mean the cohen's in general i can't think yeah, of okay. a movie of theirs that i don't really like the soundtrack are those all <laughs> t-bone burnett's uh soundtracks yeah he well he did Oh, brother. And I think he did inside Lou uh, and Davis, right? Yeah. 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 But I don't think he does all of their stuff. Okay. I, I don't remember True Grit or No Country having soundtracks is the only thing. No Country has like two music cues. Like, the I, I don't know if there's a CD that exists of it. I just watched that movie again recently. <laughs> oh, I bet the there CD's is. like two tracks. It's got to be. There's like 30 seconds of music in that movie. Uh, yeah, I think Carter Burwell is the one who works with them outside of uh, T-Bone Burnett. Yeah, he definitely did the No Country. There is nope, nope. I don't. I'm not seeing a CD, so no, I don't think they did one. Mm-hmm. I, I like a, a serious man is one that actually just popped in my head when you mentioned the Coens. Uh, their use of that Jimi Hendrix song in the bizarre story about the the dentist who sees the symbols on people's teeth is uh, is excellent. That music totally makes that sequence. The Goy's Teeth. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, that's that's probably my favorite Cohen's movie. Uh, sometimes. It's a good one. My favorite comedy of theirs for sure. They also made great use of uh, somebody to love too in that movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely Santana Abraxas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a good one. You know, I have a it's, it's it's like a guilty pleasure, and this is my last one I can I can think of. But I really <laughs> really like the soundtrack for heavy metal. 
you know, the cartoon. <laughs> and it's it, it's awful. It's got Journey on it. It's got Sammy Hagar. Um, it's got, I mean, it's got Debo, which is one of the few good things about it, really. <laughs> I I love that movie, and I love that soundtrack. So, uh, and that's and that was one of the things about the Guardian soundtrack I like so much is because it, like, juxtaposed space with, like, AM radio, more or less. Mm-hmm. And heavy metal does the same thing, but with, like, of the time, 80s, like, hair metal, which uh, it just creates, like, an awesome visual for me. I'm a big fan of, uh, it's definitely one of my favorite movies, too, but I love the soundtrack, is uh, American Splendor, the documentary about um, Harvey Picar. Yeah. Uh, that, that soundtrack, uh, I believe it's got a score to the, some, some original music, but most of it is just, it's the jazz music that shows up during the movie that he's a big, uh, you know, he's a jazz critic and collector of jazz vinyl. So that music shows up and is really important part of the movie, but it's great stuff too. A lot of John Coltrane and, um, and it's really interesting because the soundtrack comes with, uh, his, you know, he wrote the liner notes for the album. So he, it's, you know, he picked these songs out for the movie. So it was really interesting how that worked too in the documentary style, having the subject play a big role in the music choices. So that's definitely one of my favorites too. So uh, we are we're hitting the end of the year here. Uh, so I know everybody is starting to put out all their lists of you know their favorite things of the year. So could not uh, go without doing that here and ask you guys what are your favorite scores or soundtracks for movies this year so far? I think Interstellar for sure. That was easy. I stole it. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely one of I'm the best. I haven't seen Interstellar, so you didn't steal one any from me. So. Uh, under the Skin for me. Mm, very good one. Uh, that was... Damn you. You Cal can have it. Cal can have it. (laughs) I didn't like the movie nearly as much as most of you, but honestly, I did really enjoy the score to Birdman. Mm -hmm. That uh, percussion-heavy score. I mean, the drummer was even in a few scenes. Uh, I just, that brought the movie alive in a way that I don't think uh, Inaritu Gonzalez ever did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely, um, I would say that's probably my pick. Uh, I love Interstellar. I loved Under the Skin as well. But uh, uh, Birdman was just, to, to make a score out of basically one person playing one instrument for 99% of the score, uh, that's an impressive thing in itself. But it yeah. just, it plays such a big part of the movie too. I, I really love it. I knew you were probably going to ask this question and I still can't think of a movie I saw this year that I remember the score. Um I'm going to have to go with soundtrack um, since we've already been beating the dead horse of Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, the Lego movie for at least one song has a really good soundtrack. I don't really remember much of the score, but I just like how everything is awesome is repurposed throughout the score sometimes, particularly when they're in the Western world in the Lego movie and they're somebody's playing it on a piano. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd go with that. And uh, there's a certain movie I saw last night that had a really good soundtrack that doesn't come out till Christmas. You tell us what it is. <laughs> um, it's based on a musical by Stephen Sondheim. Oh, okay. End of the, okay. End of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and this this will be something that will probably come up again when we do our inevitable uh, Oscar predictions episode for sure. So we can definitely revisit this, uh, you know, so everybody has a chance to see all the all the good stuff and and recalculate their uh, their choices and everything for that too so um we've talked about movies for a long time now but i didn't i really didn't want to get away uh with missing talking about some of the other places where you're going to hear scores and stuff so uh what about tv shows do you guys have tv shows that you find have really interesting scores or or even like the theme song and the for the intro to the show or is that something that you skip over like uh you know like netflix does for you i don't ever i don't i, mean, I never skipped the theme and that blew my mind when i realized people skip the theme, the intro when they watch shows um Six Feet Under, I think, has some of the most iconic movie or music moments in a show, particularly its finale. Yeah, that ending. Um, oh, my gosh. That Sia song. Um, yeah. Wow. I, I think that's probably the most iconic use of music, arguably, in television, outside of maybe a sitcom that, that used something big. Like, I'm thinking, like, a Cheers or something like that. <sighs> Other than that, I don't know. Um I dig that X-Men theme song from the 90s. <laughs> uh, okay, all right, so I'm, I'm going to win. Twin Peaks has the best mm. score of any series ever made. I think it is completely awesome that Angelo Badamalenti, I think that's how you say it. Uh, that's the, uh, that, that is absolutely like, it's, it's like early nineties shoegaze in a town that's of people that dress up like fifties greasers. And I think it's just, it's awesome. So that Twin Peaks would be my number one vote for sure. I've got a good one. I think, um, have you guys seen Penny Dreadful? Yeah, Shane, you watch that. That has a really nice score. Um, it's done by. It does. I'm yeah. gonna butcher the name Abel Kurzanowski, and sure. he <laughs> also did. Um, he did a single man. If you guys have seen that movie, which is a really beautiful film too. Um, all his songs sound. They have a sound that reminds me of him. Like no matter what the medium is, but that that theme song and then the song used throughout Penny Dreadful is just it's super beautiful. Uh. I don't remember much of Penny Dreadful's like actual score, but I do remember liking it when I heard it. Yeah, it's really nice. I I liked the Walking Dead theme song when that show first came on, but after I went to Halloween Horror Nights and heard <laughs> that song about five thousand times, I I hate that song now. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. Uh, I'm I'm definitely a big fan of of the opening credits. I think there's a real art to that kind of thing, and the music obviously plays a huge role in that. Um, so I mean, I think for shows like uh like Dexter, uh, the opening theme for that, as well as the visuals for it too, are really cool. It's something I never skip because I, I love the music and I love the way the intro plays out. Um, Twin Peaks is definitely one of the one of the best choices. Oh, well, uh, there's one we're all skipping that we all watch. Which one? A certain show that comes back on Christmas. Doctor Who? Do, 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 we not, do we not like Doctor Who's theme song? Oh, Am I the only one? Doctor Who's I score don't. is terrible. Yeah. yeah, I would agree. It's super I love the theme. Boring. Yeah, the I theme is the great. theme song. Theme's okay, but the score is bad. Yeah, I would agree. The, the theme is fantastic because it was written 50 years ago. Um, but the, <laughs> the music, 
I'm so glad that finally we're in a season where they don't reuse the exact same music <laughs> cue every single time something happens. That that Matt Smith theme. Oh yes. Yeah, but they've got this like Clara motif that they keep using over and over. It drives me crazy. Yeah, I would agree. It makes her seem like a little child on Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah, I would say Doctor Who is a theme I really like, but a score episode to episode that I hate. Um, but one I, I definitely wanted to mention that I didn't think about until a minute ago. It's a really non-conventional one, but um, I don't know how many of you guys watched uh, Hannibal when it was on. Um, mm-hmm. That had, I, and I, I wish I remembered who it was, but that had a really fascinating score for the show that's uh, primarily not music in a lot of ways. It's very like noise and uh, droning and stuff like that, but it, it's really, really ratchets up the tension in a really interesting way. Um, that, that show's got great sound in general, but really good score as well. Um, I, only because nobody's mentioned it. Um, and these are just themes that I like a lot for, that I think set a great mood for these old shows. These are old shows, but I always thought Tales from the Crypt. Oh yeah, <laughs> had one of the best theme music. Oh, well, the Goosebumps TV show had a good theme song uh, too. <laughs> and uh, I also thought the the old Incredible Hulk television show. Yeah. Had that amazing man walking <laughs> theme that I, that they incorporated into the most recent Hulk movie, and it was probably like my favorite part of the Hulk movie. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, I had, so little pieces like that are the ones that sort of stick with you. I mean, there's so many iconic TV themes, but it's just the themes that like the scores yeah. really c- carry over throughout the entire episode. I was about to say I ca- I can't think of a, a TV show that the score in the actual episode is memorable. I will I will cheat and say if I have to pick a soundtrack for a TV show that I think is incredibly memorable, I'm going to cheat and say Flight of the Concords. Nice. Right, yeah, that's Excellent. a good one. Winner. Yeah, that wins. <laughs> it's business time, y'all. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a good choice. The other kind of media object that really has uh, taken off in terms of giant budgets and, you know, really dragging in a lot of really interesting people from the movie industry or video games. Um, and I think the score has been a big part of that. So uh, what about, uh, for, for you guys that are big video game players, what do you, what games do you think have really iconic scores or, or even recent games? What do you think are some of the best recent scores for games? We've talked about this on another podcast, but Transistor has mm-hmm. a beautiful soundtrack. The music is amazing, and it's definitely one that I've listened to beyond just playing the video game. Um, and then also uh, a Mass Effect 3, that uh, Clint Mansell stuff was really good, too. You know, the funny thing is about those Bioware games, though, beyond that Clint Mansell piece in Mass Effect 3, I feel like Bioware scores are just perfectly adequate. I like the Dragon Age, uh, the most recent Dragon Age score. It's definitely better. Yeah. It, they've, they've stepped up their game a little bit, but I feel like in previous years, they're just, they're just background music. There's yeah. nothing that, that I feel like necessarily adds to my experience. And, you know, people used to praise Jack Wall for his work in Mass Effect, but I just thought it was boring. Eh, yeah, I can't really remember much of it. I don't remember much about Mass Effect except that it, it felt very, like, stereotypical, big sci-fi epic music. Yeah. And maybe that's what it was. It's like, it, that's why it's not memorable is because it doesn't create its own thing. It just kind of follows in the footsteps of everyone else. I, I think all the Grand Theft Auto games have, uh, since 3, have had great soundtracks. Oh, yeah. Uh, the only one that had a good score is probably Vice City. Hell no. Grand Theft Auto 5, dude. Has a better score? Hell yeah. That's I don't know. Tangerine Dream, brother. Uh, that, <laughs> that score is 
awesome. That's that that, that I, I don't really like the game that much. Um, but the, the the score is rocking. Yeah, I, I would agree. The score and the soundtrack in the Grand Theft Auto series is are both traditionally really good. I mean, I I think they must have an entire part of their team dedicated to just the the soundtrack because there is so much music in all those games. Oh, surely. I found a lot of good bands that way. Yeah, they surely at least have somebody that goes out and talks to all those music studios while they're making those games. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, maybe it's because I got it on my mind because I bought the game a few weeks ago, but uh, I've always liked how the Super Smash Brothers series reorchestrates a lot of classic Nintendo themes, mm-hmm. and so I like that just helps make the iconic scores of Nintendo even better, particularly like Mario and Zelda and things like that. Yeah, Nintendo does that really, really well. They do it with the uh, Mario Galaxy series too, like these gorgeous orchestral uh you know pieces that are you know based on these little 8-bit uh songs which really fantastic honestly it's it's pretty rare for me to listen to video game music for very long um most of them are so long games are so long that i get sick of it well in advance of me finishing the game um one of the only ones that i can think of that really drew me in that whenever i play the game i am turning up my speakers is a uh, hotline Miami, obviously, mm. um, which had, I mean, I think half the reason the game was successful was because of its soundtrack. Uh, for scores, I think, um, and I mentioned this last week as a game I really liked recently, uh, Alien Isolation, which I, I believe repurposes the a lot of the music from Alien and Aliens. Is that right? Yeah. But I think it uses it really well. It almost uh, procedurally brings up the score because I can remember a number of instances where just the, the, the tension was immeasurably increased as I was hiding in a locker somewhere while the alien stood in front of it sniffing and the... It's just the score is screaming at you, and you're just, like, breaking your chair. You're holding on so tight. I really um, need to play that game. It, it, it's, 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 the game's got plenty of problems, but I think it made really good use of the Alien and Alien scores. Yeah, that's one I, I've been interested in, and that, that's one of the reasons, too, because I know the game, uh, one of the big things they made a big deal out of in the beginning is how authentic it is to the original Alien movie um, on a sound level as well as the music, too. So that's definitely something I'm interested in, especially now. Cal, I'm surprised, I'm surprised you didn't say Shadow of the Colossus. Ah. Well, it's, it's, been, it's been three or four years since I last played it, honestly, so I don't remember them. I, I remember a lot about the game, but the music is not part of that unfortunately very very eastern influence classical it's 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 very good i i it's one of the more memorable ones uh that uh i had experienced in quite some time but i, I play shadow of the colossus much more recently than most people i played it uh for the ps3 remaster for the first time okay i would say on a on a more kind of score level um I, I I think I might have already brought it up, but the score for The Last of Us, which I, it's still killing me that I cannot remember the guy's oh, yeah. name. Um, that's a really, really excellent score, really original music that uh, I think plays a huge role in the tone of the game. Uh, and that's a score that I listen to all the time, um, particularly when I'm, when I'm going to bed. That's a, definitely a on repeat a lot of the times.
But I'm a big fan of, of retro game music too. I have a lot of soundtracks for like Super Nintendo games and stuff. I really love that kind of style. And it's interesting that there's a lot of... Um, there's kind of been a big renaissance of that kind of music. What come, came to mind is a game I recently started messing around with called uh, Crypt of the Necro Dancer. I don't know if <laughs> anybody else has played it, but it's um it's a very it's a music based dungeon crawler. So uh, it's got this great score that's like really heavy, um, almost Martinez style kind of a uh, pumping '80s style techno music, and you can only move on the beat. You can move and slash your sword and, and fight the bad guys on the beat of the song. And, and so you have to time your moves out and stuff with the music. It's really interesting. It's just a cool way to kind of integrate that sort of thing. So there's a lot of room for interesting ideas with games and music in the way that it's kind of interactive as well. I can't believe I didn't say this. You know, the greatest soundtrack of all time for a video game is, as far as I'm concerned, is uh, Toe Jam and Earl. <laughs> oh yeah, it's a really good song. It's awesome, and it's it's stuck with me for like twenty five years or twenty yeah. years, however long. I still long. remember it. <laughs> I mean, it's it, every little bit of that that first game. I I just remember it by heart. Yeah, there's some of that older stuff is just like crazy iconic. I mean, guys like uh, Koji Kondo who scored. Uh, uh, you know, dozens of early Nintendo games and stuff. That stuff is just like, you know, the Mario theme is one of the most iconic musical themes in the world, uh, you know, for sure, no, no doubt. So that, that stuff's really interesting too with such a small uh, set of tools to make that music. Um, it's really interesting how ingrained in the pop culture some of that stuff is. So I guess that's going to uh, bring us to an end here on our, our podcast about scores and soundtracks. So I hope you enjoyed it. I think uh, this one may end up being a little long if we're going to, I'm going to throw in a lot of these musical cues. So hopefully uh, if you've been listening, it's been a nice, interactive, uh, enjoyable experience. So, so we will be back next week. I'm not sure what the topic will be, but we are uh, having some interesting ideas for stuff coming up in the holidays. So keep an eye out for that. And uh, I guess I will see you all next week. And thanks for listening. <laughs>